At the beginning of the year, I don't know how much you remember. I think I remember the sermons I preach probably more than you do because you're busy. And uh, I don't expect to remember everyone. I told you at the beginning of the year that I felt like this year would be a year of action for us and for you personally. And I also said that I, was, I really was going to challenge you, to begin to push you and challenge you. It's been four years since I've been the pastor. Actually, just in about two weeks, it'll be four years. And uh, yeah, cool. I hope you still feel that way later on. And, uh, and I begin to really understand more and more as time has gone on what my role as a pastor is. And one of those things is to push you and to challenge you to grow. The last thing I want to do is entertain you. You know, the last thing I want to do is you to come and say, that was a great message. And then I ask you what it was about. And I'm like, I don't know, but it sounded really good. Or, or that you look back on the six, six months to a year and you, you can't have any semblance of, of how you've grown and how God has, has molded you and shaped you because he's changing you. He's moving you from where you're at to where he wants you to be. In fact, that's why we exist as a church, to help you move from where you are to where God wants you to be. And part of this creed series for me has been that to push and to challenge. And the difficulty with that for me is, is that I'm a people pleaser by nature. I want to make you happy. But what I realized when I had my son is is if I just wanted to make him happy, I'd be a horrible parent. And then I think, wow, if I just want to make people happy as a pastor, I'd be a really horrible pastor. And what I begin to realize is that I I like to be challenged in and of myself. I grew up with my father. He was always challenging me, pushing me to be better, uh, playing sports, coaches, pushing you and challenging you academically to push and challenge myself. And I just realized that, you know, part of my calling as a pastor, part of who I am as a person is a pusher and a challenger. And that's what I want. I want you to grow. I don't want you to be the same person you were six months ago. I don't want you to continue to deal with the same things that you've dealt with all your life. I don't want you to keep the same mindsets. I don't want you to have the same view of God that has limited you for however long. I want you to grow. The problem with that is this, is that when I I do that, what I realize is, is that it confronts people and it makes them upset. Right, and there's some there's some pushback with that, which I don't know why that that was a, a surprise to me because how many people like change? Yeah. Statistics would tell us that 75 to 80 percent of our own culture does not want to change. I don't like change. I don't necessarily like change. I probably like it more than the average person. I like to be challenged, but I don't accept when someone says, hey, I think you should do this. I don't accept it wholesale. I push back a little bit because I want to understand. I want to know. You can ask Lauren if she has an opinion. I don't just accept it. I want to dissect it because I want to understand it. And uh, I can be somewhat argumentative, which isn't a good thing at times. But, but what I began to struggle with is, is, is my mindset. I kind of just wanted to have a conversation with you today, if that's okay. The title of my message today is, There is More. What happened when I was on vacation, someone gave me a book right before I left. There's a book that I wouldn't have purchased just because I wasn't looking for it. One of our, our staff is, has, uh, is on sabbatical, and they were at a, a, an event, and there was a book that a pastor wrote. It's called There Is More, and they gave me the book, and they said, I don't know why, but I felt like the Lord told me to tell you two things. Number one, to continue in the direction that you're heading. I don't know what that is, but also to give you this book. And so I have a reading list when I go on vacation because one of the things I like to do is read. I just I enjoy it. So I moved this book to the top of my list, and as a matter of fact, it was the only book I was able to read while on vacation. 
And what happened is I was looking for like this eureka moment, right? You know, where God would just speak, like the heavens would open and it'd be like, oh, and then it would, it would appear, but it, it wasn't that way. Throughout the book, I began to realize that God was confronting negativity in me. That I, I'm a dreamer by nature. I like to dream. I like to, to, to imagine possibilities. If you show me something, I'm going to think about how we could make it bigger and better and how we could do this and how we could do that. If you like give me a pencil, I don't just think it can be used for a pencil. I try to imagine all the possibilities that a pencil could be used for completely unrelated to its intended use. You know, I'm just like, I'm thinking about it. But what I realized is, is that over time that I had become to, I had come to expect negativity. I was embracing, you know, difficulty and, and not in a healthy way. And if someone was, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit against what I was saying or had an issue or a question, I was like, I was just wholesale accepting that and projecting it on the majority because the majority is, is good, you know? It was just these few things that were overwhelming me and I had stopped dreaming and believing that God wanted to do more. That God is a good God, realizing that there will always be negativity. This job has been interesting. I never wanted this job, meaning I didn't pursue it. It kind of pursued me. I never thought I'd be a pastor. And then I became a pastor, and I didn't realize how much negativity is associated with this job. Now, I'm not complaining. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not asking you to feel bad. There's just a lot to deal with, right? I mean, not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to agree. And I I should have realized that because I don't agree with everybody. But it was being a people pleaser, it's really hard. And sometimes I feel like a circus act up here. And again, this is not directed towards you. It's like people like, give me something. And it better be better than last week. And I'm going through a difficulty and you got to help me. You got to have the right word. Say something, perform for me. None of you have ever said that. That's just kind of what I deal with. And um, I was thinking, okay, now I'm just, what I'm doing is I'm just, I'm looking for negativity. I'm embracing it. I'm becoming it. And I'm not dreaming. I'm not, I'm not moving beyond that. And the Lord really showed me that when I was on vacation. You know, God took Abraham out one time. God promised Abraham. He said, hey, look, God, I'm going to give you a son and you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to give you the son. He takes Abraham outside. This is after he promised to him, and he says, Abraham, look up, and I want you to see the stars. Can you count them? Abraham, no way. They're innumerable. God says, that, well, that's, that hot, that's how many descendants you will have. You can't even count. Abraham, think of the seashore, how much sand, every little grain of sand. That's how numerable your descendants will be. Just beyond Abraham's ability to, to understand and to fathom. I was, we were on a cruise and I was standing on the deck and I was looking out over the ocean. And if you've ever been in the middle of the ocean and there's no land, you begin to feel very insignificant really quickly. And it's really a comforting thing. You're like, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, the vastness of the ocean. And I kind of felt like the Lord began to speak to my heart and say, Josh, what can you see? How far, how much is the water? I said, I can see so far. There's so much water out here, so much ocean. And God said, yeah, but it's limited. The ocean extends far beyond your ability to see it or understand it. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. And just because you can't perceive the immensity of the ocean, the ocean does not lose its power and its immensity and its vastness just because you can't see it or take it in. And what I begin to realize is, is my view of God and my view of what he wants to do in this place and just in general had become limited to what I could see and what I could put my hands around and what I could understand and better yet, what I could control. 
And what I felt like the title of the book was There Is More, that God was speaking to me and on vacation is there is more, so much more, Josh, to me. Stop looking at the negative. Stop being upset when you're challenging people and they have a problem and they don't want to grow. Here's what God told me. Get over it and grow up. There's more. Get over it. You have a choice here, Josh, to focus on what you can see or to begin to focus on who I am, and I will reveal to you that which you cannot see because that's how big that I am. See, we've been talking about some big things with God. Again, infinitely powerful, intensely personal. He defeated sin, death, and the grave. And all these things are huge, and they make us think, but here's the thing. They demand a response from us. You cannot walk in and out of here every week and and live the same way you're living and not be challenged. You have to make a decision. Who God is, either he is that or he is not, and that affects the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we treat another, another person. It all does that, and I kind of just wanted to take an opportunity this morning and just say, what are we doing with what we've learned so far? Is it affecting us? And the big thing is to say this, there is more. Amen. I want you to walk out of here today understanding that there is so much more to this huge, immense, infinitely powerful God that we serve, who defeated death. Who, who cares way more about our eternity than he does the material things in this life. That God is huge and big, and there is more. There's more. If I ask you today, who wants more? I think everyone would raise their hand. I tried to do that in the last service, and only some people did, and they were lying. Because we all want more. I think we inherently and we intrinsically want more because we know that there's more to life than what we currently have. We, we, we are pursuing that. Now, we, we define more in many different terms. We look at more differently. And I say, there's more to God. And I think what automatically begins to flood our minds is there's more money. There's bigger houses. There's more stuff. There's more things, God, I, I want more, because more literally means this, a greater or additional amount or degree. A greater or additional amount or degree. So there is more. There's a greater amount of God, a greater degree to who he is. But we have to define what that more is. Is it material or is it spiritual? And I think what happens is, is we kind of fall in the idea of that material. That's what we pursue, the material benefits of serving God at times. I do. Yeah, I, I cognitively am aware of the fact that it is spiritual, but is that what is, what is effectual in my life? Is that, is that what I'm pursuing? Am I pursuing the more spiritually or am I so focused on the more materially? That God, in some way, wants me to have more money, wants me to have a bigger house, wants me to have a better job, and I think he does want to prosper us. I mean, God can do all those things, don't get me wrong, but I think those are the easy things for God. Those cannot be the pinnacle of our walk with him. Right? I want to assert to you today that, that, that there is more to God, that more is not material. That literally, just to define it, that more is God. More is God. There is more in who he is, not in what he does. Who he is is greater than what he does. We worship him for who he is, not simply for what he does for us. We don't limit our worship to him answering a specific request. We don't hold God hostage and have a deal with him or have a ransom that when you do this, then I will. 
No, no, no. God, this is who you are. And I worship you for who you are, not for how you make me feel, but for who you are. That trumps it. There's more. I want to read to you a scripture verse and then, and then really dive off. I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 19. This has kind of been on repeat, and this was in the book, and it just really began to jump out at me. What we have here is this God is speaking to his children in the nation of Israel when they're in captivity to Babylon. They've been in captivity. They're slaves in a foreign land. This is what God is writing to them and speaking to them really through the prophet Isaiah. He says this, This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuff out like a wick. Here's what he says, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, a very famous verse. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Here's God speaking to a group of people who are in captivity. And he's saying, look, I know where you're at. I, and you know why you're there, because you've been, you've been disobedient, haven't been doing what I asked you to do. In fact, I told you if you didn't do this, this would happen. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to forget the former things of the past. I want you to set those things aside. And what I want you to know is I'm doing a new thing. I love the translation, thing. How specific is that? That's the best that we've got. He's doing a new thing. If you ask me, what are we doing tomorrow? I'm coming to your house. Oh, we're doing some things. You want more definition than that. But God says, I'm doing a new thing. That's where human language fails. When God is doing something, we cannot adequately articulate what God is doing, but God is doing a new thing. And he says, can you perceive it? Can you see it? I make rivers run in the desert. I make new roads where there is no way. I make new rivers and no new roads, and I'm doing a new thing. That's what God was speaking to me. Josh, I'm doing a new thing. But your negativity, your embracing and expecting of bad and difficulty to happen will not allow you to perceive the new thing that I'm doing. What I want you to know this morning is I believe that God is doing a new thing in this church, but he wants to do a new thing in your life, a new thing. But you've got to set aside the mindsets and the perspective of looking at negativity. And what you also have to set aside is your perceived idea of what that new thing will be and your method of how God should do it. Because I'm pretty sure it's going to be bigger and better than what you thought and way different and harder. Hold on before you clap. And harder. With every great blessing comes great responsibility. God is doing a new thing because he's more. He's more. The question is, is can we see it? Can we perceive it? And can we move in the direction of it? So in looking at what is more, we have to define that. In the Bible, God is called by this name seven times, at least in the Old Testament. It's El Shaddai. Everybody say El Shaddai. It literally means God Almighty. He's God Almighty. He's the all-sufficient sustainer. He is one who is mighty to nourish to satisfy and to supply. He literally is the God who is more than enough. Those are all different ways you can take a look at El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is is all sufficient. He is more than enough. He is one who is mighty to supply, to satisfy, and and to meet the needs that we have. He is more than enough. I wanted just to kind of take a look at some examples in Scripture of God being more than enough. This is not exhaustive or comprehensive. It's just a flyover. But with Abraham... 
It's going from, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a son Isaac to uh, look at the stars and the sand and your, your descendants will be as numerous as this. God goes from one son to more than Abraham could even count an abundance of a blessing for Abraham. From one son to stars and grains of sand. He couldn't even fathom that. We look at God feeding the children of Israel every day in the wilderness when they're going from Egypt to the promised land. He gives them manna. And what he tells them is, is collect what you need and leave the excess on the ground. Don't collect it because it's going to rot. I'm going to give you fresh and new stuff every morning. But my question is, is why didn't God just give them what they needed? He could have delivered it in a pot right to their tent post, right? They could have walked out in the morning, picked up their pot. I find it interesting that he rained it down and they had to go and get it. They had to pick it up. But don't get more because I'm going to send you fresh stuff. Some of us, we're, we're depending on stuff we picked up a long time ago and it's rotten and it's disgusting and it's not providing life for us because God wants to do a new thing. He's got fresh stuff for us. Kind of like Joy's word. Hey, I will reveal my word to you specifically for you, for your situation because I love you. We move into the New Testament. We see, we see uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. In fact, he fed other people as well. Before that, there's two separate stories. But 5,000, that's just 5,000 men. Had the women and children, maybe we're looking at conservatively fifteen to 20,000 people. He takes five loaves, two fish, and he blesses it. And there are 12 baskets full left over. Why? I don't have the answer fully, but he's a God of abundance. He did more. Some say, well, one basket per disciple. Sure, good, I don't know. But there's more. There was an abundance that he can take little and it becomes much in his hand. He does more, more. Luke chapter five, verse six, Jesus shows up. Peter and them have fished all night. They're folding their nets. They're ready to go. Jesus said, hey, cast back out. I want you to fish again. Jesus and Peter says, we fished all night and caught nothing, but nevertheless, I will. And they catch a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fish. The other fishermen have to come out, help Peter, take care of what's going on. And I love Peter's response to the abundance of God. He says, forgive me, for I'm a sinful man. The abundance elicited a response from Peter that said, I will bow before you, and I see who I am, because you are great, and you do more. Ephesians 3.20, Paul writes this. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ask for or imagine at the power that is at work within him. Who is that? That's Jesus. To him who is able, meaning has the power, he does exceedingly and abundantly above what? Our ability to ask and imagine. If you can ask it, if you can imagine it, it's still insignificant and insufficient when it comes to God because he thinks bigger and he does more, but he has the power to do exceedingly and abundantly above. Above. At the power, not our power, that works within us, and that's the power of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, he would write this, Paul again, And I lost it. Here it is. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He can make all grace abound towards you, so that all times, having all sufficiency, an abundance for every good work. Listen to that. All times, all sufficiency, an abundance for every good work. Abundance means more than enough. He didn't say you would have a sufficient amount. You would have 
an abundance. God does more. To me, the pinnacle example is just this. It is the gospel. It is Jesus. Jesus is more than enough for sin. It's not just forgiveness. It's not just a God writing or sufficing a debt. No, no, no. There is, there's not just spiritual healing and restoration. There's physical healing. There's freedom. There's, there's provision in every area of our life. Jesus is more than enough. That's why the gospel is the good news. And we will extract its riches for the rest of our time on this earth. We will never fully tap into it. There is more. God is a God of more. I would assert to you that more does not exist outside of the realm of God. He is more. I come back to the question, though, what is more for you? When we say there's more for God, from from God for us, I think what happens is we start thinking about our needs. And that's natural. I need more money. Right, or I want more of this. And we, we think of God and more as in the material, as I said before. And in fact, there's a whole vein of Christianity out there that's dedicated to this. That God will give you whatever. You give $500, he'll give you 5000 You know what I mean? Like, he will give you that Maserati. He'll give you that bigger house. And it's this pursuit of material things. God can, and God has done that. But man, we cheapen who God is if we think he's only good enough for houses, cars, and money, and stuff. And I know some of us need that stuff, but that's the easy stuff for God. The problem with that stuff is that stuff is never going to be with us in eternity. It's going to sit here and rot. Here's the problem. When it comes to our relationship with God, we're asking the wrong question. And the question that we're asking is this, am I happy? Am I happy, God? When the real question is, am I free? Am I free? See, when I'm happy, here's what happiness says. Happiness says, give me what I want. God, give me what I want. If you give me what I want, then you're good. If you give me what I want, then I'll praise you. If you give me what I want, then I'll do, then I'll do, then I'll do. God God never, ever said in his word that he wants you to be happy. Find the scripture. Where God is so concerned about your happiness. Because here's the problem with happiness. It's fragile. It's cheap. It breaks down just when we talk about it. It changes like the wind. What you think you want to be happy now will change tomorrow. Because you're going to get what you wanted and it's not going to be happy. It's not going to be good enough. It's going to lack because familiarity breeds what? Contempt. You think you need more money. Maybe you do. You think you need a bigger house. Maybe you do. But God hasn't done it. Maybe because the thing you think you need would destroy you. And God hasn't done it for you yet because there's something deeper there. There's something that God wants to form in you that's a foundation and sustainable. So when the good things come, they don't become your idol and you don't worship them and they don't control you. Money's a tool. Stuff is great. It is inherently neither good nor evil. It just is. 
But we idolize that stuff and we're pursuing God for stuff. And God says, I want you to be free because freedom leads to joy. And I do want you to have joy. And I am concerned about your joy because joy is from the inside. Joy is about our soul. I can have joy when things are going wrong. I can have joy in the midst of trouble, joy in the midst of difficulty, joy in the midst of a depression. I can still have joy. In fact, God says joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we're saying, God, make me happy. God say, I, I, don't, I could, but I'm not concerned with your momentary emotional need for happiness right now. I want to set you free. Free. Free from what? Sin, obviously. Free from addiction. Free from anger, depression, purposelessness. Free from the constant need for validation from other people. Free from the exhausting pursuit of an ideal of happiness that is so far removed from, from fulfillment and it's tied to stuff and things and people. Freedom to be who he called us to be. Freedom to love unconditionally, where I can love somebody and not expect anything returned from them. That I, I'm not going to say, when you do this, then I'll love you. And if you do this, then I, no, no, I can just love you because that's how God loves us unconditionally. Freedom. Freedom from that, 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 that depression and those mindsets that we've had all of our lives that just look for negativity, embrace negativity, become negativity. When God wants to do a new thing, we can't perceive it or see it because we're looking in a different direction. We're focused on that which we can see, and God's saying, look beyond that, set aside that mindset. And really, here's what I want you to know. Set aside your desire for happiness. Stop asking God to make you happy and begin to ask the right question. God, would you set me free? Because freedom is what he wants. Jesus said, I, I came to set the captive free. Luke chapter four. He also said, I come that you may have life and have it to the full. He didn't say I came that you may have stuff and stuff to the full. I like stuff. Don't get me wrong. I save money for stuff, but stuff never has made me happy long term. Momentarily, yes, I enjoyed this vacation. And in some ways I went on this vacation looking for it to make me happy. And guess what? It didn't. It can't. Sometimes I think about the money I spent on it. That didn't make me happy. I don't need to go on vacation for happiness. It's a wonderful thing to enjoy. How much time are we spending asking God to make us happy? How much time are we spending prioritizing our happiness and treating people so bad because they're not making us happy? How much, how, literally, how much time are we spending? Lauren said this the other day, looking at the lives of others on social media instead of living our own lusting after what they have, getting all mixed up in their junk, yeah. (laughs) Somehow making ourselves feel better because we're not as bad as them, or feeling bad because we're not as good as them. All to be happy. That's not happiness. There's no joy in that. See, that's why God is a good father. He wants us to have joy. As I said, joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
There is more. But happiness and joy, those things don't even exist outside of him. You want more in life? Hey, if you need need more money, ask God to meet your bills. I'm not saying that. But don't limit him to stuff. Every time we prioritize the material over the eternal or the spiritual, what we're saying is this. Jesus is not enough. God, if you don't do this, I don't know if I'll serve you anymore. It's natural. I get it. We take a step back and we look at Jesus and we're like, yeah, you're not enough. You didn't do enough, God. Because I'm struggling. Hey, we will struggle. He is not just enough. He is more than enough. I believe he wants to do a new thing in your life. I don't know what that thing is, but he wants to do something new and fresh. And the question I have for you is, can you see it? Can you perceive it? Are you so bound up in the mindset like I was? I'm just waiting for someone to disagree. I'm just waiting for negativity because somehow I find some sick way I find some identity and feel goodness about that. Because really, here's you want to know how sick it is? Because I can't wait to tell you how wrong you are when you disagree with me. I can't, I'm being honest, I can't wait to tell you how ridiculous and petty your complaint is. Now that's sick, I'm telling you. That's how, that's how bad these things can get. When that's so contrary to who God's called me to be, to love people, what do you think, Josh, people can't disagree with you? Like God, like God said, grow up and get over it. You're an adult. Freedom in that. For really, for real. So much freedom. You know what? Because I was trying to find my identity and everybody liking me. I was so insecure when someone would, would question me. Oh, uh, uh, you know. So I'm not saying like everyone come at once and disagree with me, but <laughs> what I am saying is I think it's more okay. I'm more okay with it. Joy, freedom. So how could I, how could I live in this more? This Quick thing. Number one, ask the right question. Stop asking, am I, am I happy? And start asking, God, am I free? Where are the areas in my life that you need to set me free? Where are those things in my life that you want to do away with so I can be free? God plays the long game so I can be free, so I can be a better father, husband, wife, whatever. Stop looking at your spouse saying, make me happy, make me happy, because they won't. <laughs> they can't. Stop looking at your children to make you happy. Stop looking at your coworkers. Stop looking at your job. Stop looking at whatever to make you happy because it never will. They never will. They can't. Ask, am I free? Number two, don't sacrifice joy for happiness. Don't sacrifice joy for happiness. Happiness says, give me what I need, want. Joy says, give me what I need. Happiness says, God, give me what I want. Joy says, God, give me what I need. That's what freedom says, freedom and joy. Give me what I need, because what I need will sustain me. What I need will hold true. What I need won't break down just when I talk about it. It's not fragile or cheap. And the last thing is just do, do, the, just do this. Say, I'm, I'm going to trust, believe, expect. Trust, believe, expect. I'm going to trust that God is good, that he sees my need, my material needs. He sees it. He wants to meet it, that he will. I'm going to believe. Not just, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to take a step further and believe that he has my best at hand at all times, that he knows what I need. And in his timing, which I don't like, but in his timing, he will do it. I'm going to expect. I'm going to expect more. 
I'm going to expect more. I'm going to make a decision that I'm not going to focus on the negativity. I'm not going to talk about it all the time. I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to let the 1% cast a shadow on the majority. I'm not going to allow that to dominate my life. And I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to say, behold, God, you're doing a new thing. You're making a stream flow through my desert. You're making a new road that I can travel upon. And God, just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because I can't perceive it doesn't mean you're not powerful and you're not big enough and that you can't do it. God, I'm going to trust, believe, and expect that you're making a new way, that you're making new roads and new rivers and that you're doing a new thing. May you gain a greater appreciation of the word thing here this morning. And may you hold on to that because the ambiguity inherent to thing gives God the freedom to do what he needs to do. We long for specificity. Sometimes God gives us ambiguity because in the ambiguity is the greatness and the power of who God is that he does exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ask for or imagine at the power that is at work within us. So the only thing I have left to say before I praise this There is more. There is more. Pursue it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everybody in here this morning. I thank you that you are a God who is big and mighty, and you're doing a new thing in this church. You're doing a new thing in this community. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard at what you are doing in this place. God, may we pursue that aspect of you, not just what we know, not just what we see, But Father, we know that you call those things that are not as though they are. That you looked in our lives and we were were bound up in sin. We were addicted. We were whatever. And you took us from where we were to where you you wanted us to be. We couldn't see that, but you did. And you've made us into something beautiful. You mold us and shape us. May you do that with our lives. May you meet those needs that are present today. Physical, emotional, psychological, relational. Father, the addictions that are, are, are holding on to people. May you set them free by the power of Jesus in here this morning. And may that phrase be on our lips. There is more. And behold, you do a new thing. Help us to see it. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. God bless you. Enjoy your Memorial Day. We'll see you next week.